0: And if you would please open your Bibles with me to the book of 2nd Corinthians chapter 12, 2nd Corinthians chapter 12, continuing now our study through the book of 2nd Corinthians and really coming into the home stretch. There's chapters 12 and 13. We'll finish chapter 12 today. Uh, some weeks back, we studied the first 10 verses of chapter 12. Wherein Paul talked about God's grace being sufficient for him even in the midst of trial and difficulty and now we'll pick it up in verse 11 through the end of the chapter and I'd like to speak to you today about commendable ministry ministry that is worthy of commendation The apostle Paul is going to hold up the ministry that God has entrusted to him as an example and um, we'll see some interesting things here I believe as we look at it together let me try and restate a little bit of the context here. Remind you of what the Apostle Paul is dealing with primarily in this letter to the church at Corinth. And especially here in the latter portion of the letter. We find the Apostle Paul really opening up his heart. Becoming very personal with this church. And his, his desire really is to defend his apostolic authority that God has given to him to help direct and guide this church. You see, false teachers pretending to be the more imminent apostles or super apostles had begun to creep into the church and were actually taking advantage of the people. They they boasted of their own ministry credentials and they tried to diminish Paul's authority and ministry within the church. So Paul is responding to this challenge. But Paul's response is not for sake of ego, Paul is not responding to defend his personal reputation. Rather, the Apostle Paul has a a concern for the church, and it is one of protection and spiritual well-being. You see, the Apostle is trying to protect this church against the false doctrine that would be taught by these false teachers. He's trying to protect them from being taken advantage of and lorded over by these that have asserted themselves. And, of course, he is trying to also maintain his connection with this church, the true God-given authority and ministry into the heart and life of this people. So there's, there's much at stake in Paul's defense here, but again, it's not personal, but it's spiritual for the well-being of the church. Pick it up with me now in that context. Take a look with me in verse 11. And Paul will begin to identify his own ministry. And first he says our, our ministry is done, something that was done with all perseverance. Verse 11, I have become a fool in boasting, you have compelled me. For I ought to have been commended by you. For in nothing was I behind the most eminent apostles, though I am nothing. Truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. For what is it in which you were inferior to other churches, except that I myself was not burdensome to you? Forgive me this wrong. We sense a little bit of sarcasm here from the apostle Paul. You know, in every way you were blessed, except I didn't burden you. Please forgive me. That I was not a financial drain upon your church, because when I came there, I ministered without any offering or support from you as a local church. So Paul is um, holding up his ministry as something that should have been commended. I ought to have been commended, he says. You know, instead, I'm having to kind of commend myself to you. And he says, I, I, I feel foolish in doing this, having to kind of boast my ministry credentials. This is something that you should have already identified of what you know, because of the ministry and the relationship that we've had. Remember, Paul is the one that came to Corinth in the initial planting of this church. He's the one that shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. He told them of how Jesus had died on the cross for their sins. He was ministering into a very pagan culture and a very decadent uh, society. A lot of pagan, uh, you know, ungodly worship practices, immor- immorality, a very um, commercially minded culture there, a very trade center oriented, a lot of Greek philosophy of the day. Just a real kind of confusion in terms of spiritual reality. And Paul comes in with the gospel. And he declares to them, there is a God in heaven that loves you. And he has sent his only son to die on a cross for your sins, that you might have relationship with him. And this he also did while demonstrating, as he says, signs of an apostle. God had also, was also ministering uh, supernaturally, miracles, while he was sharing these truths with the people. And he says, you know, you've fallen for these self-promoters. And you've caused me now, I've got to, to boast about my ministry cred- credentials. But you should have seen through this their pride, their self-importance. They're exalting themselves over you, taking advantage of you financially, misguiding you doctrinally. I really should not be having to engage in this foolish boasting of defending myself. But nevertheless... I'm here saying these things to you. But I want you to know that even though I am nothing, Paul was very humble. He said, I want you to know that I have not lagged behind anything of real value according to these super apostles. They may be promoting themselves, but really, in truth, I've not in any way lagged behind ministry into your life. And he says, I I was there and you you saw these signs of an apostle now we don't know what signs specifically took place in the in the ministry there at Corinth the book of acts does not record for us any miracles of paul's ministry there we know that he was there for over 2 years initially ministering sharing the gospel but clearly paul references listen there were signs and wonders you saw them you witnessed them We don't know what those were specifically, but we do know that there are a lot of miracles, signs, and wonders that were recorded for us in the book of Acts throughout much of Paul's ministry, Peter's ministry, the other apostles as well. And so indeed, God was confirming this this gospel preaching with miraculous signs. And Paul references that, that, you know, things like the casting out of demons. Uh, The healing of those that were lame, other miracles that are recorded for us, and the types of signs that we see throughout the book of Acts. And Paul said, look, those same signs accompanied me when I was ministering there, and I was doing it with all perseverance. When we ministered these things, we were not showboating. We were not saying, hey, healing service tonight at 7, come out for all. You know, it, wasn't, it wasn't this promotion. It was done really in sincerity and with perseverance, meaning that we were working hard to support ourselves to not be a burden to you, and, you know, so that you would not in any way think that we're here to receive from you. We are simply here to preach the truth, and God is confirming that truth. With signs and wonders, not to be a burden to you. Paul worked as a tent maker while he was in Corinth. He met this is where he met Priscilla and Aquila. This is recorded for us in the book of Acts. We know they worked also tent makers. Paul working together in this trade, supporting himself, that he would not have to receive finances from this church. Now we know that Paul did receive support from other churches. And Paul was actually taught and preached uh, on the principle of those serving in ministry should be supported by those that they minister to. But in this church, he specifically chose not to receive anything from them. And I think it was the guidance and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. In some way, he knew that in this church, it would be better not to leave any misunderstanding. That they would somehow think he was there to take advantage of them not only for his own ministry's sake, but then also to be able to differentiate his ministry from the others who had come in, the super apostles who had now arrived and were charging you and fleecing you out of everything they could get from you. Paul is able now to show them the great contrast. And he says, you know, in this you saw the power of God, and yet you do not commend us. You let these people actually bring in question about our ministry. I want to talk a little bit today about this idea of signs and wonders. What about this? What about miracles? What about healings? What about demons and the deliverance of of demonic oppression and possession? And We see these things in the scriptures clearly. But what about today? Are these things that we should anticipate to continue today in our Christian journey and experience? Well, I would say to that, yes, but I would say a qualified yes. And that's what I want to talk about a little bit. I do want to point out that, the, that that Paul mentions what you saw were the signs of an apostle. This means that there were certain ministry kind of gifts, if you will, or I'll say a certain concentration of miraculous types of things that seemed to accompany that, that original apostleship, ministry, and authority. And I want to differentiate that from just, uh, you know, things that we might see today. I do believe that God still works miraculously. I believe that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And and guess what? Demons haven't gone out of business, so we still need the help of of what God has for us in the Holy Spirit. I I haven't noticed that we are any less needy as a church today than, than they were at the early church. But still, there was a unique ministry that was given to those foundation apostles. And I think Paul is referencing that, that when he was there, you saw the signs of a true apostle. You saw the miraculous in your midst. A couple of verses, you don't need to turn to them, but let me reference them. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3, the writer says this, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, that would be Jesus, and was confirmed to us by those who heard him, the apostles, those who originally traveled with him and were appointed, including Paul. God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. The writer of Hebrews says, listen, that you know, this gospel has come to us through those that originally heard Christ. He shared it. They have now shared it. And God has confirmed it. We've seen signs and wonders, miracles taking place as to authenticate this gospel message. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20. It says this, that concerning the church, the church of Christ, that it having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So the book of Ephesians relates to us a certain foundation ministry that has been laid by the apostles and prophets, Christ himself being the cornerstone. Now, we don't have time to look at this in great detail, but I do want to say that I believe there is a, a foundational work that was given to the original apostles. And these men went out and had a certain authority that had been entrusted to them by God for the purpose of starting the early church. And they laid a foundation upon which we are now building. For example... The New Testament is, has been written by these founding apostles. We don't have new, new letters being added to the, to the New Testament, right? We don't have any new scriptures coming to us today by modern day apostles. The Bible is not a living, growing document. It is given to us once and for all. And we have this as our foundation. So, even though there are great men... That if God is using and raised up and given great leadership to, and we could quote the people like Billy Graham, even Chuck Smith, uh, Calvary Chapel, th- thousands of churches being planted through his ministry. These are great leaders in the church indeed, but they are not to be likened to the original apostles. Not that they're, you know, that they're inferior in any way, but their ministry is different. They've not been called to lay this foundation as the apostles originally were. So we don't have Billy Graham writing uh, new portions of the New Testament. We don't have himself, him claiming or declaring himself to be an apostle differentiating his ministry he's a wonderful leader a great evangelist and god is using him in mighty ways and he may be he may have reached more for christ than any of the original apostles in their lifetime but still they had a unique foundational ministry and i believe with that foundation laying ministry came a certain uh, concentration of spiritual gifts and miraculous things that took place during their ministry now, we also need to remember that as we look through the book of Acts and we see um, these miracles, you know, it almost reads like, wow, just a miracle every day. It's just one miracle after another, one testimony of the supernatural after another. But you must remember, the book of Acts covers a span of a great many years. It's really just the highlight reel. You know, it's it's not, I mean, if you have seen, if you're watching some of the World Cup soccer, you know, when you watch the highlights... It seems like they're just scoring goals all the time, you know. All you see is the goal scoring. But if you watch the full game, you realize, does anybody ever score in this game? You know, when is is the scoring going to start? So you've got to remember, the book of Acts is something of the highlights. There was lots of ministry and day-to-day serving the Lord wherein there were no miracles. And it's not like the apostles could just call it up at will. We, we read of Paul praying and, and being burdened for some, that were, some of his team members in the ministry that were sick even unto death. How nice it would have been if he could have just you know, said, Hey, you're healed because I've decided that I want you to be healed today. Paul didn't have that authority. That's why the writer of Hebrews says that these gifts of the Holy Spirit have been, that they, they come according to His will. And The Lord would use these miracles to endorse the message, to endorse the, the, the witness, and to accompany this foundation ministry. But it wasn't happening constantly all the time. And so I think that's an important thing to remember because it's the kind of thing that has been my Christian experience as well. I, I can say that I have seen things in my, my lifetime that I attribute to nothing less than the miraculous working power of God. But I gotta tell you, it doesn't happen every day. And it's been, you know, there there are rare kind of moments in my lifetime that I know, wow, that was a miracle. And I wish you know, I wish I could just call them up daily, don't you? I wish we could have a lot more of it, but we have to trust that the Lord knows what's needful and also what would be hurtful. Because there is a danger in Getting too caught up in seeking the sign, seeking the gift, and not enough focus on the giver. Getting caught up in the emotion and just chasing after signs and miracles, but not really developing a relationship with the true and living God. Not learning the depths of His grace, as Paul spoke of earlier, even though he had a thorn in his side that he prayed God would remove three times, but the Lord said, no, my strength is perfected in weakness. There were times that Paul would have gladly taken the miracle road, but the Lord did not allow it, and he had to learn the depths and the, and the, you know, the wonders of his grace, even in the midst of difficulty and trial. But does this mean now that really signs and wonders are not really a part Of our Christian experience today, I mean, now that the apostles are gone, it was kind of this unique time in church history. Well, some believe that. Some actually teach that they believe, no, there are no miracles today. There are no gifts of the Spirit for today. They all died off with the last apostles. That was just a unique ministry given to them. But that's not what we see taught in the Scriptures. Now, as I mentioned, there was a unique foundation laying ministry given to them. And it does seem that there was a concentration of these signs of apostleship that were, that were given to them. But we also see encouragement throughout the New Testament to... To pray and seek the supernatural. Paul, in writing to this church in Corinth, would tell them, now these are just the common believers, just like you and me sitting out in the church, he would say, hey, desire the spiritual gifts. Covet them earnestly. And, and desire the greater gifts, the ones that are even more miraculous. The prophecy gifts, the words of wisdom and inspiration. Desire them, ask for them. James says, if there's anybody sick in the congregation, come. Let the elders anoint them with oil and pray for healing. Pray in faith. Jesus himself, in the Gospel of Mark, he said, these signs will accompany, follow those who believe. Not just my special 12 that I've appointed, but those who believe. And he goes on to to list, they'll cast out demons. You know, they'll be bit by serpents and not die. Uh, they'll pray and uh, for the sick, and they will recover. Jesus said that this would be a sign that would accompany those who believe. The church would, would experience these signs throughout its in- entirety. And I think in truth, we have seen those things. We haven't seen them as often as we would like. And we haven't seen them maybe, you know, as as much as we we feel like, you know, the book of Acts records them. But most of you, if you've been walking with the Lord for a season, you know that you've seen the supernatural working in your life in some way or shape or form, some touch that it has really you can only attribute to the working of His Spirit. I've noticed also that I hear just in testimonies of, of the miraculous, I hear a lot more of what's going, out, going on out on the mission field. You know, and that makes sense to me, because that's kind of what we see in the book of Acts. It's as the kingdom is advancing, into, as light is, is you know, conflicting with darkness, as the gospel is going forth, it seems that that's where the battle is wait, you know, raging, and the Lord uses the supernatural to affirm and confirm the message. We hear of these testimonies from people that we support out in the mission field. God working in miraculous ways. Because, listen, the gospel is going out in some cases into these places that are just, you know, demonically pagan darkness. And you've got to go in with the message of one true God who loves you, sent His Son, Jesus Christ. Imagine this in a Hindu culture where they believe in hundreds of thousands of gods. Sure, let's add one more. now this is the one true God. And then that word comes with a demonstration of power. And so we hear this, and I believe that God, that, that God uses those things. But I would encourage you not to become a sign chaser, but don't become a sign doubter. No, continue to look for the Lord. Continue to allow the Lord uh, to, to move in your life as He desires and expect Him to work. But don't get into the practice of abuse. And we've seen a lot of that unbiblical practices a misuse of spiritual gifts unbiblical manifestations being called gifts of the Holy Spirit and we have as I mentioned earlier some that I think they just become sign and wonder chasers they're just running to the next miracle service the next uh, big thing that they can find and it's almost like they want God to be their genie not necessarily wanting Him to be their Lord They're not interested in doctrine or Bible teaching. They want the, the emotional experience. But let me just say, miracles don't save. It's the message of the gospel that saves. Miracles do not save the soul. Even a miraculous healing, it may temporarily heal your body. Jesus healed many. Guess what? They're all dead and gone today. That's just a temporary work to really draw your heart and attention to the eternal work, which is the message of His love for you and His forgiveness for you in Christ. That's the miracle. The the miracle of Jesus saving the soul and working in in a manner that will be eternal. And listen, there's coming a day when you won't need miracles. (laughs) We sang about it uh, this morning. There's a time coming when there's no more sickness, there's no more pain, God will will one day make it all right and good and beautiful in its time. Until then, we trust Him. We trust His Spirit. We look for those things, but we also know that it's His truth of promise to us that sustains us. Moving forward now with me, pick it up again in verse 14. We saw that, his, Paul's ministry was done in all perse, perseverance. We'll notice here that Paul did all things for edification, to build up the people. Verse 14, Now for the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you, burdensome to you, excuse me, for I do not seek yours, but you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. But be that as it may, I did not burden you. Nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you by cunning. A little sarcasm again. Verse 17, did I take advantage of you by any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus and sent our brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not walk in the same spirit? Did did, did we not walk in the same steps? Again, do you think that we excuse ourselves to you? We speak before God in Christ, but we do all things, beloved, for your edification. Paul said, listen, I I did not come to you seeking what was yours. I came to you seeking you. Have you ever had that um, feeling that someone was kind of warming up to you as a friend because they wanted something from you? Ever had that? I'm, I'm, I'm really looking to make friends with those who have season tickets to the Dodgers. That's one of my, I'd like us to be best friends. I don't know if you're here, but I love to be, I just, well, I'll take you for coffee. I'll just, you know, you know what I'm saying. This idea that when there's something to be gained, you know, all of a sudden we're, we're, real, we're real positive. And Paul's saying, look, that, we didn't come for anything that we could get from you. We, we really came for you. We're really sincerely interested in you. It's you that we care about. It's your spiritual well-being. It's your souls that are in the balance. That's what's motivating us. We're not here to get. We're to give. And you are our interest. Your life. Your heart. Your love. Your fellowship. Your relationship with the Lord. Like a parent. Paul says, you know, like a parent would naturally provide is, and is interested in providing a healthy future for their children. Paul said, this is the same way that we care for you. I mean, you know, in Paul's culture, and I think pretty much in ours as well, parents typically lay up something for their children. Now, I know you've seen those bumper stickers, you know, we're spending our children's inheritance as they drive off in their RVs, right? <laughs> kind of a joke but I, some of it's probably true but uh, you know there is an idea I think in most of our hearts that we'd like to to help and help build something for our family's future and Paul is saying look that, that's the same way that we came uh, to you but, you know it's not for you to to take care of me it's for me to be caring for you this is the way God has designed it in ministry That those that he's called to come and serve. Isn't this the way Christ lived his life? Did Christ come to be served? Did Christ come looking for what he could get? Or did he come to serve? Did he come to give his life as a ransom for many? Yes, this is the example. This is a ministry that can be commended. A ministry that is focused on giving for the sake of God's people. And he says, I will gladly spend for your souls Even though the more I love The less I am loved That's the hard part, isn't it? About ministry That's the hard part about being a Christian Following Jesus We like the idea of being loving That sounds good But, but we don't want to be loving And then not be loved in return That hurts that, that, yeah. I mean, you don't need Jesus as much as I thought you did Right? But we see the example of Christ. Christ demonstrated the love of God in that while we were yet sinners, He died for us. Jesus didn't come because you were treating Him right. Jesus didn't die on that cross because, you know, you were doing pretty good. And all you needed was just a little nudge. And so He took the cross for you. Jesus died for your sins when you, were, even when you were living in rebellion and the enemy of God and the cross. His love came for you because He loves you. And it pursued you. And it overwhelmed you. And it won you. He didn't, he didn't come looking for what He could get from you. He just came to save you. Whew. <laughs> That's still a powerful truth. That's why Paul said, I, I will gladly spend for your souls. Be that as it, as it, as it may, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not looking to take advantage of you. Not only that, but none of our co-ministers did. When I sent Titus, did he take advantage of you? Was I trying to trick you by sending my guys in behind me that were really going to collect from you? No, we all walked in the same spirit. Ministers following the example. Ministers in step with the leadership of the apostle. Ministers in step with the leadership of Jesus Christ. All things, he says, were done for your edification, to build you up. That's truth in ministry. It's a motive to build others spiritually, to help, to encourage, to instruct, to correct, to challenge. It's done unto the Lord. It's not done for what you can get back. It's not done for recognition or, or some kind of self-importance or some kind of notoriety. If that's your, if that's your interest in ministry, you're in, the wrong, you're in the wrong place. Jesus is looking for those that will serve Him and follow His example and help and minister to others. Finally, look with me now, verse 20. We also notice the Apostle Paul. His ministry is going to include a call to holiness. A call to holiness. Verse 20, For I fear, lest when I come, I shall not find you such as I wish, and that I shall be found by you such as you do not wish. Lest there be contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbitings, whisperings, conceits, tumults, lest when I come again my God will humble me among you and I shall mourn for many who have sinned before and have not repented of the uncleanness, fornication and lewdness which they have practiced. Paul is afraid of what he might find when he arrives at this church. If you remember earlier in our study of this book, the Apostle Paul explained why he had delayed his coming to the church. There was some accusation kind of flowing his way. Oh, Paul said he was going to come and visit. He never showed. Who knows if he'll ever show. Who knows why he's coming. He promised maybe on his way back from such and such he'd stop by. He didn't. He's not a man of his word. He doesn't care about us. And Paul wrote earlier in this letter and said, listen, the, the reason I delayed... Is because I wanted to write this letter because I wanted to give you an opportunity to get your house in order before I arrive. I wanted to give you space to get it together, church, because when I come, I don't want to have to be dealing with these things. I want you to kind of come around and get your heart right with the Lord and with us so that when I come, we can enjoy the time together. I don't have to get there and get on you. Because of these things that I'm afraid I will find. And Paul says it very, very bluntly. Look, I'm afraid when I arrive, I will not find what I hope. And he said, you need to understand that if I, if I, if I find these things going on, guess what? I'm not going to be who you hope. Because I'm going to come in, I'm going to have to deal with this stuff, and I'm going to deal with it very directly. Directly. And if need be, we will discipline. And if need be, we will correct. And if need be, we will have to forcefully put things in order at this church. And Paul says, but that's not my desire. It's my fear, but it's not my desire. And he lists the things that he's concerned about. He speaks of the sins of pride. The sins of the flesh. Pride being those things he mentions. Contentions quarreling, debating, strife, division, jealousies, these, this petty coveting and comparing and jockeying for position, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbitings and whisperings, those often go together, don't they? I don't know if you've heard, but uh, you know, I want to tell you, now don't repeat this, but just so you know, oh, yes, I need to hear that, please. Whisperings, you know, that undercurrent. Conceits, speaking of pride and haughtiness. Tumults. It's a word that means confusion, just a lot of stirring, not a sense of peace and really unity. Paul said, I'm worried. I'm worried that when I get there, that's what, what's going to be going on. There's going to be all this division. And then, then this camp's going to say, oh, Paul, we need to tell you about these guys. Come here and listen to us. Oh, you can't believe what they're doing. And then the other camp, Paul, oh, you, you haven't heard anything. Wait till you hear what, what's been done over here and what this guy's... And Paul, Paul, can you imagine? I'm coming to this church that I planted. I want to enjoy the fellowship. I want us to grow in the Lord. I want to share the things that the Lord has for them. And instead, I'm going to be refereeing the camps and the, and the division and, and the bickerings. Paul said, I'm afraid that I might find that. And he's hopeful that they that, that that he will not find that. But not only these sins of pride, he speaks very directly about certain sins of the flesh, uncleanness, meaning more, any kind of moral impurity. Fornication. Fornication is uh, the Greek word pornea, from which we get our word pornography, but it, it really includes any and all sexual activity Outside of marriage. God has created sexual intimacy for a beautiful expression within marriage. And that is its purpose. And that's what it is reserved for. And anything outside of that is sinful. You're misusing what God has called and created these things for. Also, he mentions lewdness. It means licentiousness, a certain lack of self control, given over to vice, whether it be sexual, drug, alcohol, abuse, just living kind of without boundaries, lewdness. And Paul said, I'm concerned that there are some who are living this way and have not repented. And he says, you'll notice there at the very the last word he says, and which they have practiced. So he's talking about some that are engaged in this lifestyle, living this way, and are simply not getting it right with God. They're not repenting. They're not turning from the direction in which they're living. Paul said, I'm concerned. I'm going to come there, and you're going to have people just living openly this way, outwardly this way, and calling themselves Christian, and acting like all is well. I'm I'm part of the church. Now again, we're not talking about those that struggle, those that stumble. Those that are, dev- are sincerely endeavoring to live for the Lord, desiring to live for the Lord, but you're in some kind of work in process. And that describes a lot of us as believers. But there's a sincerity and there is a repentance when we fail and there is a true brokenness and a, and a response to conviction. As we studied last week, that convicting work of the Holy Spirit, coming to the light, getting it right so you can get, it, get on with your life in the Lord. Paul's not talking about that type of individual. No, he's talking about those that are living this way and have not repented. And living this way in which they have practiced. This is a lifestyle that they have simply given themselves to. A lifestyle of sinfulness. I want you to be reminded that, as I mentioned earlier, that Paul preaches this message. He writes this letter to a to a culture in Corinth that was extremely morally corrupt and sinful. Paul writes this letter and says, "Look, I don't care what's going on out in your culture. I don't care how everybody else is doing it. I don't care how how bad the slide is. All about you, you are the people of God and in his church this is the call." That he has for us to live to. And we must agree with it and be moving towards it in sincerity. We don't have time to look at it today. We'll we'll look at it next week. But Paul is going to challenge this church. He's saying, you know what? Examine yourselves. I think it's healthy for us on occasion to examine ourselves. And allow... The Word of God to be the standard and the light by which we measure our own heart and our own conduct. And it seems to me, and I'll be honest with you, this is um, this is not an easy message to teach through. And I, I kind of feel Paul's burden, Paul writing this. Oh, man, I, guys, I hope this is not going on. But I want to. I want to be. I want you to feel the full weight of the Apostle's heart because it's not just his heart. He was inspired of the Lord. And it may be that you need to look at your own life today and say, is this going on? Again, I'm not talking about the person that that stumbles or sins as a matter of course in their Christian journey, but they are quick to repent and getting their heart right. Now, again, don't make excuse for yourself. That can become a pattern too, right? And you just never change. I'm not talking about that person that is sincerely looking and growing and maturing. But I'm talking about that person that is just settled into a lifestyle that is ungodly. Whether it be sins of pride, jealousy, bitter, gossip, rumor, outbursts of wrath. Or whether it be sins of the flesh, immorality. You're living with somebody. You're not married. You're you're in a relationship and you're sexually active and you're here on Sunday and Wednesday lifting your hands and all is well for you. It's not right. It's not right. And God doesn't bring this kind of a message to you because He wants to condemn you. God brings this kind of a message to you because He wants to save you. Paul wrote this letter... Paul wrote this letter because he knew that he would be coming to the church and he wanted them to get things right before he arrived. I want you to know that Jesus is coming soon. I want you to know that there may be darker days ahead. I want you to know that there may be storms yet to come. This is the time to get your house in order. This is the time to get to live for God. And just as Corinth was this corrupt, sinful culture, we too live in a declining moral and sinful culture. And how easy it is for us just to kind of lower our temperature and we're still doing better than the world. That's not what God's looking for. He's not looking for a relative commitment. We cannot let the moral laxity of our times dictate our behavior and habits. We must live our lives according to God's calling upon us as his people. As I mentioned, God wants to save. The Lord wants to bring you into a place of fruitful relationship with him. But to hear the apostles heart today is to hear the heart of the Lord for you. Before Jesus returns, before your time is up, before your life is is kind of wasted away in this living in the shadows and missing the the fullness and and the ministry and all that He has planned and marked out for you, before that just gets away and is gone, get your house in order. Get right with the Lord. Come and receive forgiveness. We're going to celebrate communion now. Let's get our hearts right with God. If that's what's needful. If you are walking with the Lord, then keep walking with Him. And don't let the culture trap you and you know, entice you. And you, you burn brighter. As the days get darker, you just walk in the light and live in the light. I believe this is the heart of this, the apostle coming through to this church. And I believe it's the heart of the Lord at least coming through to my heart. I don't know about yours. But I want the full weight of it. I want the full challenge of it. Because I know He loves me. And I know He wants to protect me. And I know He wants to bless me. And I know He wants to use me. And I want to be available to Him in my generation. Let's pray. Father, as we look at these passages today, we can't help but feel the weight of them this is the Apostle bearing his soul to a people that he loves and that he has endeavored to minister the grace of Jesus Christ into their lives. And Lord, he's contending for their soul. He's contending for their spiritual well-being and future. And I, for one, Lord, I feel the passion of it and my own heart is challenged today. My own heart is stirred today. Oh God, before you come, I want to be, when you, when you come, I, I don't want you to find me as you do not wish. And nor do I want to find you as I do not wish. I want to be busy about my father's business as, as you could come at any moment. And as our heads are bowed here today, and before we pass out the elements and partake of communion, I do want to give an opportunity for you today if you need to respond to the word of the Lord. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want you to know that He loves you and died on that cross for you. Not to condemn you, but to save you, to forgive you. And He extends His love and mercy to you right now. If you will but receive it by faith, He will meet you wherever you are. doesn't matter how far, how dark, how bad. Right now, Jesus Christ has the power to save and forgive you completely and establish your relationship with Him. And I would love to pray for you if that's where you are this morning. It may be that you are here today and and you do know the Lord, but in truth and in honesty you, you have fallen away from God and you're living in something of a compromise and your heart knows it today and... And you know, just as Paul was itemizing those things he was concerned about, maybe some of it is is a checklist of what's going on in your own life. Sins of pride, sins of the flesh. And again, I'm, I'm not talking to a believer who is quick to repent and confessing and walking in close fellowship. I'm talking now to someone you've drifted away and you've allowed yourself to kind of settle into a lifestyle that is not really close to God. And you need to rededicate your life to Him today. You need to get your heart right. You need to repent and turn from these things. And you need to set your course after Him again. Maybe like when you did when you first believed. Recommit and rededicating your heart to Him. I want to pray for you as well. So if you're here today and before we partake of the elements and you need the Lord Jesus for the very first time in your life or you need to rededicate, recommit your life to Him, I'm asking you simply to raise your hand where you're seated and I will pray for you. God bless you, sir, upstairs. And you down here, several hands here. You, ma'am, the center, left, amen. Number of hands responding. It's between you and the Lord, but God bless you, ma'am. Amen. I want to pray for you. God's mighty to save. We're coming to the table of the Lord. A place of celebration for forgiveness and mercy and grace. If he's speaking to you and you know he's calling you out to, to himself. Oh, don't miss this time. Come to him now. Anyone else before I pray? The Lord is speaking to your heart. You need the Lord. You need to come back to him. Amen. I see you, ma'am, there. Anyone else? Now, just before I pray. And so, Lord, I... Amen. Lord, I thank you for these that have responded to you today. Not to me, Lord, but to your word. And I pray that, Lord, you would meet them in this very moment. As they turn to you in truth. As they say, Lord, with me, Lord, I come to you and I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I acknowledge that, I, that I, I, I'm, I've missed the mark. And I'm asking you to forgive me and to cleanse me and to save me. Jesus, not because I'm worth it, but because you love me. And because you died on that cross on my behalf. I receive that gift of Your love. I receive that gift of Your righteousness. Cleanse me from my sin and move into my heart afresh and anew. And Lord, give me the strength to live for You now and to walk with You. I can't do it on my own, but Lord, with Your help and with Your love, I believe You have better things for me. And I want to walk with you in relationship of love and peace. In Jesus' name, amen.